Look, I'm glad I let you do that introduction. He did much better. <laughs> you didn't know all of those things. So, uh, greetings, everybody. It's my privilege, my blessing, and my hope that when you leave here, you will feel I invested my time wisely. I know you had some other choices. Uh, last year or a year before, I forget which, uh, I was scheduled again on the last afternoon and they took all of the 10 people that were there and put us all into one room. <laughs> this year I got my own group. So I got 10 over here and 10 over here. I'm doing really good. Sir, how are you? I'm wonderful. Wonderful. Pleasure to have you. And I'm blessed. You're what? Blessed. Oh. To be here. Whew. You're setting a high standard. <laughs> all right. Now then, uh, we're in here to learn some ideas about uh, being certified. And I'm going to spend my time actually talking about um, the method of teaching. Most all of you are familiar with the courses. Um, they've been around a long time. And so what I'm going to share with you for the next 30 some minutes is what I do and what I train people to do and then they go do what they want to do, okay? Isn't that about? Yeah. I've given up trying to make sure they do what I tell them. Um, I would have some sleepless nights, I'm for sure. Because back when we started in 1984, uh, we started writing the program and, or the curriculum, and we had people teaching it, and uh, I'd have people come to me and say, you need to go straighten out that instructor. He's not teaching the way you teach. And I think, oh, no, no, no. I told him the same thing I told an eldership one night. Uh, he was, the, one of the elders was asking me, who supervises the instructors that you got everywhere? And uh, I said, sir, we give them a Bible-based curriculum we train them how to teach, and then they are under their eldership. And he didn't like that. He said, I think you should go and watch every teacher and evaluate every teacher. I can tell you that gentleman has never been a school principal. Do we have a school principal in here? Because the school principal, the teacher will know when the principal's coming. And that will be the best class that teacher has ever had. Tomorrow may be the worst class that teacher ever had. So that is not going to guarantee anybody is going to do a great job. The best we can do is train them, stay in touch with them, wish them well, give them your email address and say, call me, write me, invite me, whatever that I can do to help you. So um, here we are to do what we can. And... Um, I am going to um, show a, I was going to say a video, but um, I just had my computer worked on. I'm reaching in my pocket to get this, and it's not in there. <laughs> That's the, the mic or whatever that is. All right, so we're going to get going. I hope you don't have any questions, uh, but if you do, raise your hands. I've never said that before. I hope you don't have any questions. <laughs> if you have any questions, Bill, sitting right there, he knows as much about this, right? No. No? All right. And Buck told me to point it this way. All right. Ministries, the butterfly. And uh, I have here a brochure on the butterfly. Uh, Buck just introduced it to me about an hour ago. It's laying right here if you want to get one. It's a great story, a uh, beautiful story about the butterfly. And uh, to me, there is uh, nothing better to explain the transformation that Paul writes about in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, than the butterfly. And if we had time, uh, we would discuss that. But I'm going to do in less than an hour what I normally take 12 hours to do. So here we go, and we'll see what we have here. It is a ministry. 
And uh, our objective is reconciliation. Comes out of 2 uh, Corinthians. But anyway, what we want to do is bring people back to God and God first. I've learned that if you try to take a person home that has come back home to live and they have not made any kind of change, uh, they're not going to be welcome. You bring a man back from prison and bring him to a congregation by himself. They don't trust him. And so what we're trying to do is reconcile him to God first and then bring him back to the family. And the family comes to church with this person. That person will be more accepted, acceptable by the congregation. And once that person gets involved in a congregation, that congregation is a small group of the big community. And so as the congregation takes that individual and introduces them around the uh, community, then you've got them going back. So I would not go in any other direction than God first, the family, and then the community. Is that okay? All right. Uh, here's what we do. We got all those kinds of things going on. And uh, so we're, we're active. And... Um, we got more than eight courses now, um, but uh, you've got a list in the, um, is this mine or yours? Mine. mine? Okay. Mine. Then uh, <laughs> I'm just telling what you said. <laughs> in here should be a list of all the lessons, so I'm not going to take your time. Uh, I am the president. We have secretary part-time, and then here we go with other kind of people. Without volunteers, you wouldn't go. Okay? Volunteers. Uh, we got all of those people. Um, I was over in Russia, and a man said, you need to get this translated into Russian because one of these days you will not be allowed into Russia, even though now you are, and that is being taken place right now. We got missionaries who are coming home from Russia. And so we went and got it translated by Russians, and they are using it. Um, go from there. Congregations, jails, prisons, treatment centers. Um, Buck, is 43 states accurate, or is there 40, 50? That's about right. About right. Okay. And uh, 28 foreign countries, it's 35 now. So uh, probation, parole, um, all kinds of things. We get our money from those sources. And so uh, we're out there humping it every day to get the money that we need to continue to grow. And this is what I told that elder. All of our instructors are operating under the eldership of their home congregation. And so uh, we uh, want it to be that way. The first concept comes back to my uh, conversion. I became a member of the church and didn't tell any of my family until I had to. And one Sunday morning, I came down from upstairs. I Let me back up. I had been in Atlanta, Georgia, going to school for to be an insurance adjuster. I was traveling from that school to New York City, uh, Greensboro, Winston-Salem is my home area. I stopped there for a couple of days. And uh, Sunday morning, I got up, came downstairs, and my mama saw me all dressed up. I came from a family where mom and dad had long ago quit going to church. Uh, my brothers went if their wives required it. Uh, my sisters didn't go. So we were not what you call a church family. And so if I were dressed up on Sunday morning, everybody knew where I was going. Okay. So she said, oh, they're going to love to see you at the Methodist church. Sage Garden is the name of it. I had a brother and a sister-in-law, and then I had gone there as uh, a teenager. Well, anyway, I said, Mama, honey, I'm not going to Sage Garden. She said, well, where are you going? I said, I'm going up to South Main Church of Christ. What? That little group up there? I said, yeah. She said, well, why are you doing that? I said, well, this past Wednesday night, I was baptized 
into Jesus Christ. Well, then you just get out of here and you go on up there. Well, when your mama's mad at you, you do not argue with a mad mama, right? I got out. I left. I went to church. Uh, now, on Sundays, all my brothers and sisters, my sisters and brother-in-laws, whatever, come to my mama's house. And they stay all day from 1230 until there's no food left. <laughs> and then they go home. And so I didn't want to come home and face them because I'm the youngest boy out of six boys, and then I have five sisters. And so I didn't want to go through all of the questions, so I waited till late. I got home. There was no cars out there, so I knew everybody was gone. I figured Mama was there, but I tried to be real quiet. Went in the back door, went upstairs. I was packing. Here came somebody running up the steps. I knew it was Mama because nobody else would be running to meet me. And so I thought, she is still angry. I got to get out of this house. And there's only one window, and it's on the second story. <laughs> so I just said, okay, I'll take it. Because um, here she comes in the room. She's crying. She runs up to me. She hugs me, and she says, I am sorry. You're old enough to go to church wherever you want to go. But let me tell you. Don't you ever come home and not come to this house on Sunday to eat with your family. Oh, she was really upset. And I began to see where my mama's main uh, values were. It's family. Yeah. And so anyway, um, um, step number one, what we do or have a tendency to do is study with an individual person. And then... We try to go from there. We're an instructor or we're study mate. I like the word study mate so that it gets you into the studying with the person rather than being looking down at the person, okay? And so individual student, and then now I'm saying we need to get with the family. I do believe it would have been a, a benefit to me if I had studied with my family and with an instructor or a study mate before I was baptized. It would have been showing more respect for my family. It would have given them more insight. It would have prevented them from becoming defensive. And so that's where I am now. Okay, and you can bring in mentors. And then the beauty was after I had left home, I went to Abilene Christian University. I got my master's. And uh, eventually, I got to study with my entire family. My mom, my dad, brothers, some of my sisters, some of my brothers, my in-laws. And so we had a Monday night Bible study. And uh, it went on for almost, a, well, I'd say about eight months. And uh, I won't tell you about all that, but it was really interesting. I made a lot of good progress there. Uh, what you want is a maturing Christian family so that they have each other to hold on to. We got so many Christians that don't have any close person to hang on to. And usually we're going to stay with our family forever. And one of the things I learned from my first um, prison student was that he called me daddy. He said, you've done for me things that my daddy should have done. And I kind of got the feeling I should never, I don't use the word forsake, but I should never drop him. And I was at his funeral. That's how long, from age 65 to about 85, nearly, I guess, right at 20 years. But um, I think we should um, move in that direction to show respect for the family of the person we're studying with. Number two, it helps you to have a larger group that can interact with you when you're not there. Okay, um, we all become ambassadors that way, and we strengthen each other. Um, one of the concepts also in the teaching, uh, I used to think it was love versus hate, but um, after our reading 1 John chapter 4, it's 
you get toward the end of it, it's love versus fear. Need to see you. <laughs> Been looking for you. But anyway, um, if I'd have said that in my students in my class, <laughs> you'd been embarrassed, but you know. All right, love versus fear. And what I want to show you is the impact of fear on an individual's decision making and on their behavior. Because uh, we make the decision and we carry through with it. Um, when you look at Second um, Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 7, God did not give us a spirit of fear, did he? Gave spirit of love, power, and what else? Self-control. Now just think, what we have been hearing for the last couple of days is a lack of self-control. Yeah. And so what we're dealing with is people in the main that uh, is not controlling their behavior from self-control. And so when love permeates self-control, we can say, no, I don't do that. And if you want to continue with me, let me tell you what I will do. And I always say to girls, the first time they do something that you don't approve of, you need to say, thank you, but I can't keep going if this is what you want to do. Now, if you want to quit doing that, I'll work with you. But basically, I don't do that. And you say it with love, not with fear, not with anger. You just let the other party know before they get you too far gone. And then you get mad, and then they are upset because you got mad. So you can tell them from a basis of love, I don't do that. It's not good for you. And so let's not do that. Okay, uh, when love permeates the power. See, uh, in Acts 10, 38, it talked about how Peter introduced Jesus to Cornelius. And one of the verses says, and he went about doing good and healing people. And I thought, I, I love Matthew 28, okay? That's good. That's all right. But here... It is simply something all of us can do. I've heard people say that we're not supposed to do the Great Commission. That's just for the preacher and the trained clergy. We're not supposed to do that. But all of us can go about doing good. And so that's where I am from there. So love is what permeates our self-control that allows us the courage to say no in love, not in fear, not in anger, not in resentment. But anyway, power, when we're working from a base of love, we can do more things because love will give us that power. Now then, uh, I don't know what happened to that slide. Now then, fear, when it permeates the self-control, I can't make it through the night. You got a shot? I need a needle. I need something. You got anything? Yeah, what have you got to offer me? And so you start selling whatever you have to get something to get you through your fear. And so I'm saying to us that in 1 John 14, I mean 1 John 12, it's not right, 1 John 4, toward the end of the chapter, where there is fear, what goes away? love. And where there's love, fear goes away. So those two don't operate on top of each other. And so when fear permeates our self-control, we got to have something. And we begin selling whatever we have to get there. Power. Okay, so now then, I'm the more powerful one. And uh, what am I going to do when fear permeates my power. Well, I'm going to do it to you before you can do it to me. I'm going to take advantage of you and get you handicapped. And so I'm out to get you. Now, I'll be nice if I have to, but just know that I am 
working from fear. And I think that is where lots of our problems is. Our young people are working from fear. Um, I do, I used to do a lot of teacher training seminars and um, teachers nowadays will tell you that we got kindergarten students, first grade students who are at risk. And at risk students are fear-based behavior. And fear-based behavior shows up as either I'm, I'm scared and so they let the bully take charge or they join a group of others to protect themselves. It could be a girl's group or it could be a boy's group. And then also the power. I'm scared and so I'm going to overpower you before you overpower me. And so fear does that. And fear comes into power and love goes into hiding. And that comes about after an abundance of negative life experience. Uh, nobody at home loves me. Nobody has told me I'm worth anything and all the opposites I do here. I go to school and it isn't long until the teachers got me categorized with that losing group. They send me to the principal and he tries to work with me for a while. And I always thought it was kind of funny how that some of our boy students in particular I don't want to say got in trouble so they could go spend time with the principal, but many of the time when the man is the principal, boys, I do believe, will misbehave so they can get time with a man. Yes, sir. And uh, they just want to go down there and sit. And uh, after an hour, they're back to normal. They go back to class and misbehave again. But anyway, uh, this is after an abundance of positive life experiences. I will talk to you later how I think that we are born at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Born at the top. Um, Maslow didn't say that. Okay, why did I do that? Uh, is a question that all of our students are working on. I know it was wrong. So why did I do that? And so what I'm trying to do is help them to figure out what it was that caused them to do that. And uh, let me get right there. Okay, I want to talk to you about two kinds of influence. One is social. It's from outside of your head. And the other is inside of you. And so you are having to process information and feelings and thoughts from the outside world. And then you're processing your reactions to the very same thing. Amen? All right. I got your approval, so I'm going to keep going. <laughs> All right. So now then, I'm going to take the outside first. And I start at 3 o'clock. Situation, okay? All of us are born into a situation. We're born into a culture, born into a time. We're born into a family. Well, I used to say maybe, but there is a family. It may not be cohesive. It may not be positive. But um, anyway, so normally we are in a situation. And uh, I'll just leave it there. Your family, your relatives, your friends, those people set you up for a lot of things that by the time you're three and four years old, you're already acting in harmony with that environment. You don't question it. You just do it because we've been doing that all, the, all along the way. Well, the situation will set you up for a group type of interaction and relationships. When you in the family, you're going to have all these sisters and mothers and aunts and uncles coming to see the new baby, right? They come from miles to see the new baby. But in some families, they don't do that. And in some families where they do that, they caress the child, they hold the child. Everybody's got to have their photograph made with the child. But uh, there's some children that don't have pictures 
Next time you go dealing with somebody, ask them, do you have any pictures from childhood? Uh, that's really sad when a young person cannot produce pictures and say, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, in my family, we didn't go to church, okay? And so one day I was looking, I have the habit of looking into bureau dressers just to see what's there. And um, I looked through one of my mama's <laughs> and I found a Bible. And I yelled out and I said, Mama, I found a Bible. She said, I know it and you put it back when you're through with it. I said, well, do you mind if I read it? She said, you can read all you want, but you put it back. She said, the family pictures are in there. And if I leave the Bible out, all you kids will steal all of the family pictures and I won't have any pictures. So the, the, the value of the Bible for my mom was to hold and hide, protect the family pictures. Okay. In the relationships, you're going to have groups. And uh, you got your family groups, you got your non-family groups, you got the school group. And uh, on our farm, we had whoever we were working with. Uh, we had those groups. Now then, here's the key. Your relationships or the groups will set you up for expectations. You are expected to behave a certain way. I was not allowed to play football by my group, my family. They said, you are a baseball player. Two of my older brothers were professional baseball players. You will get hurt playing football. And so I don't want you playing football. And um, I got that from several people. And so I was expected to play baseball. I mean, there was never a question. You will play football, I mean, baseball. Um, okay. Now then, the relationship sets up the expectations. I have a Bible class that I teach occasionally at home, and in there are the women who come from prostitution, drugs, whatever, and they are brought to our class on Sunday mornings by a big bus that we go to this house and they come. And we have our own members there in the class as well. And so one of the days came and they were talking about how to get rid of negative influences. And somebody said, well, you got to change your playground. You can't go back to that playground. And then they said, yeah, you got to change your playmates because your playmates will be coming to that playground. So you can't go back to the playground and you gotta change your playmates and your toys. You gotta change your toys. And I thought, God, that's beautiful, isn't it? If you'll just change the toys, change your friends, and change where you go to engage your friends and their toys, uh, you can uh, improve your life considerably. But anyway, expectations. Um, now then, behavior. That's where the behavior comes from. It comes from accumulation, a situation, the relationships, the expectations, and the behavior. And the behavior is going to modify the situation. As we get older, we do things that modifies our situation. It may make it worse. It may make it better. Now then, <clears throat> I want to go inside of you and me and take a look at what we're dealing with. And when I counsel with people, I take this full sheet and I'll lay it on the table and I'll say, let's talk about these words. And I'll let them talk about any word that's on there. Now, if they don't seem to be wanting to take the lead, I will point out words. And I'll, I'll stay situation and go around. But I want them to take control of the counseling session, okay? I want them to talk because I can learn how to help them more if I do the listening. And I think we heard a lady talking about that today. 
Okay, inside of us, we have our genes. And uh, I believe very strongly that you and I have a motivation inside of our system that causes us to behave a certain way unless we decide I'm not going to behave that way. Now, there's people who are dominant. They look at their parents, their grandparents, and you'll find somebody that's dominant. Okay? There are people who are very talkative, and we love listening to them. And they don't even know they're talking a lot. And you look into their family, and you'll find somebody that is very friendly, outgoing, happy, talkative person. And that's where they get this. And they will be that way unless somebody convinces them not to be, and they agree not to be. Uh, there's also what I would call the friendly introvert. We'll laugh at every joke you tell, but will not tell a joke. Just cannot tell a joke because all the attention is on them. And they lose it when you put all the attention on them. And then there is the person who is very doctrinally oriented, very strict, and got to play by the rule book. They're quiet until you talk about their subject. And when you get them turned on to their subject, you'll wish you had not because you will learn far more about that subject than what you really wanted to know. Okay? So, the genes. And you, you can just see the friendly introvert, friendly extrovert, the dominant extrovert, the dominant uh, whatever I've left out. They will start behaving that way. And then you will see them that way. And what we have a tendency to do is to treat the people that way. And so that helps to set it up. Also, we have feelings. And it's like an attitude. Um, somebody has told us, don't go near those people. There were, uh, we had a farm, the next door farm, which was down the road. Um, my mama told us, that woman won't keep flies out of her kitchen. So I don't want you boys eating down there. You come home and I'll feed you here. Now see, I grew up thinking flies, you should not have flies in the kitchen. Yeah. And so the attitude about flies, oh, it's terrible what I think about flies. But there's other feelings that we get that you're not even aware that you are building and you build on them and uh, you keep going. I don't like cats. I was chased by some cats when I was little and I ran up a tree and the cats could climb trees better than I. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I love dogs. Now then, we have certain feelings that it's just in there and it'll come out. It will come out. Let, let me tell you one that I've developed. Now, let me give you the negative first. There was uh, two boys in our neighborhood about my age. They were arrested for breaking into the grocery store. Now, I lived in the country at a crossroads, Beeson's Crossroad. This road where I lived was a dirt road, okay? And so right up the road was the grocery store, and they broke in and, and robbed, and they got caught. My daddy called a, a meeting, started to say a board meeting, but it was a boys' meeting, and he, he read to us that we were never to go near a jail because he said, I don't ever want to have to come and get you out of jail. Do you understand that? And I thought, you just don't go near jails. And so I grew up, and one of my brothers heard that I was going to the prisons, and he got real upset. He said, don't you know you're not supposed to go? See, he was chewed out by my dad also, evidently. But see, you have these expectations, these feelings that come to you, and they help influence. They do not control, they influence. Um, okay, needs, all of us have similar needs. And if I get time, we'll go through that. We have thoughts. Uh, I love historical thoughts. I love to study history. 
And uh, I love World War II. I love the cowboy history and uh, athletic history. I, I love to read about athletes. And so we have these thoughts inside of us. And sometimes they con contradict, is that a word? They contradict other thoughts that other people have. Uh, last night, I stayed up and I, I fought LeBron James so long, so hard, that I was exhausted today. I really have been very tired from fighting LeBron James last night. But anyway, um, I have some thoughts about him that we don't need to go into. All right, guidelines, guidelines. Play soccer, you got uh, chalk lines outlining the field. You play basketball, you play baseball, whatever it is, life has guidelines. And we get them from our groups, we get them from people we respect. And so inside of our head, this information may contradict the guideline. And we got to make a decision. Do we or do we not? Okay. Um, goals. I want you to count how many G's I've got up there. Can you count them real quickly? How many G's? Three G's. Okay. Anybody want to go for four? I got three. Four. Okay. We got four. Anybody want to go to five G's? Five G's? If there's five, you're seeing double. I don't think there's but four G's. There's uh, one at the bottom. You got genes, guidelines, and goals. Okay, remember, four G's. Four G's guide our behavior. And almost any person who commits a good deed or a bad deed, ask them when they're going about it. Um, did you have anybody in your group that influenced you? Did you have any feelings that you shouldn't do it from your guidelines? Has anybody in your family done this? It might go back to genes. I'm not saying that it does, but it might. And uh, do you have a group that helped you get there? And so anyway, um, these are the things that influence our decisions and our decisions determine what give me a d decisions determine d destiny all the decisions we make in life will determine where we end up not other people but it's the decisions that we make if i make the decision to go with gary then it's not gary's fault it's my fault okay now then, the mind. A cognitive behavioral therapy, I like that. I like the mind being the center of everything. You're going to have your emotions going through there. You're going to have your genes influencing it. And the mind is going to be the moderator of everything. And so Paul said, let this mind yeah, yeah. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And he also said, it is not I that live, but... And where does that Christ live? In our minds. And so the mind is what you want the student, the inmate, the prisoner, whomever you're working with. Their mind is going to be their friend or their foe. And um, we'll go from there. Okay. Now then, a Christian leadership model. Um, we operate on levels. And uh, I want you to think about in the Bible, who was willing to um, give up everything just to get some food in him? Who was that? Who? I'm starving. Give me some. Fix me a bowl of porridge or something. Esau. 
Yeah, he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Okay, that's where he was. I'm going to starve, motivated by fear. There are people who will um, do all kinds of things out of fear. Yeah, and so we go from there. Um, I, I stayed away from my mama an entire day because I was scared of her and scared of everybody else in the family. I, I want to say later my mom was baptized and later I personally baptized my dad. But anyway, level one people, you need to remember if they are on that level and they let you baptize them, their main motive is I don't want to go to hell. The love of Jesus is not so much there. It's the fear of hell. Okay. Um, level number two. Who was it in your mind that wanted to be together with another person? There's more than one person I'm thinking about. Entreat me. I'm sorry. Naomi. Naomi. And Ruth, entreat me not to leave you. Your people be my people. Your God be my God. Your nation be my nation. We're in this together. Yeah. And who was it that um, knew that this man whom he was saving was going to be king instead of him? Jonathan and Saul? No, Jonathan and David? Yeah. See, they were there. It's us. Yeah, we're going to do this together. And who was it that said, For me to die is gain, but to live for the people. Yeah. To die is my gain, but I need to be here for you. And so I'll take the stripes. I'll take the beatings. I'll take being dumped outside the town. And so... Here's what I want to say to you in leadership. You as a leader need to know where you are. You as a leader need to know where the group of people are that you're leading. And if you're leading individuals, you need to know where that person is on this because if he's on level one, he'll do whatever you say, but he's not really sold on what you're selling. Number two, they'll do it because it's you. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I just want to be with you. Yeah. Level number three, they're going to suffer, but it's the right thing to do. Okay? All right. Our needs and our values. How much more time do I have? Five minutes? Okay. Uh, we value health, right? And uh, Obama values it. He's going to spend most of our economy on helping us to be healthy. Amen? Because it's valuable. And so what do we need out of that health? We need energy. If you don't have energy, you're sick. You've got to have energy. And so we value health because that's how you get the energy. Okay, security. We're in the church now. You want to feel, I'm in the right congregation. Yeah. So what do we need? We need to trust the leaders of that congregation. Because if you don't trust the leaders of that congregation, it's not going to work. So now then, we value relationships. There's all kinds of magazines about relationships. Most all of the songs are about relationships. Why? because we value that. So now then, if we're going to value relationship, what do we need to do? We need the desire to help that other person. Not take advantage. If you start taking advantage of the person, what do we destroy? The relationship. So the relationship is what we value. And how do you get there? By serving the other person. Okay. You may not uh, see this one just right off, but we value expectations. Husbands and wives who do not get along will often say to the uh, counselor, 
if he would just tell me what he wants, if he would just tell me what he expects, I'd do it. Or she might say, or he might say, I just wish I knew what she wants out of me. And so expectations is what we need. And then achievements. Okay. So now then, we value appreciation. Do you know how much money we spend on trophies and ribbons and all of these other things? Uh, trips. Now, in talking about in the church, okay, if we achieve something and nobody says, you did a good job, nobody says, thank you, nobody even notices, we don't feel good, do we? We do not feel good. And the problem is we take it out on Christ. We think, if that's what church is all about, it's not for me. Yeah. And so, now and then. But you know, if we are developing faith in Christ, if that is the result, that happens, we will automatically esteem Christ. Now then. We value esteeming Christ because that's how we know. We see you esteeming Christ. So we know then that you have faith in Christ. And if you esteem Christ, your behavior will show it in actualizing behavior that Christ would have approved or done himself. And then <clears throat> as we actualize Christ, we can say, or they'll say about you, or you'll say about them. You know, that's a Christ-oriented behavior that you're carrying out. And notice you're on level three. And now then, here's a word I want to give you. It's P3. P, like a little two that's a square. P3, and it says practice, practice, practice if we will practice Christ-oriented behavior, we will reap the reward of being able to say, I can do it because I'm getting better at it. The guy leads singing over and over and over. What does he say? Yeah, I can lead singing. The guy preaches good sermons over and over. Yes, I can preach. I can teach, etc., etc., etc. And so uh, that's where we are. And out of that, the leadership is valued. Okay. Uh, she's been very nice to me. She has not said this yet. But um, I am finished, but I want to give you um, one more thing. I want you to see the word. Um, this is our lesson plan. Lesson plan number one uh, is in small groups. You get your groups of four, and they, in a group of four, share good things that's happened in the last week so that they get to talking. It's very important that people talk in order to get them to go out and talk about Christ. You can't just go out and talk about Christ if you're a friendly introvert, shy, and you've never talked. So we practice talking in the class for about three or four minutes. So that's talk. Number two is we have a devotional, and that is spontaneous. Nobody leads it. It just happens. And we say, lead the first verse of your favorite song. Give us the first verse or a verse of your favorite scripture. Do not read it. Do not sing it out of the book. Close the book. Close the Bible and just share what's right here because you know what's right here. So just share that and share a prayer, 30 seconds. Pray for the people that you trust and rely on the most. God, I am so grateful for one, two, three. Amen. Thank you, God. And here's what's happening in this talking people are beginning to bond with each other and say, I never knew that. I didn't know that about her. I didn't know that about him. I'm going to go talk to him. 
I'm going to go talk to her. Yeah. And what we're doing, we're leaving the Bible class thinking and talking to each other rather than not talking because I don't know your name. And I don't know nothing about you. I know your name is Bill, but that's all I know. Okay. Uh, number three is questions. Um, have you ever been to a Bible class where at the last two minutes the teacher said, anybody got any questions? And somebody said, don't you ask the question. We've got to get out of here. We've got to go get the kids. And somebody says, I just pray that that man over there doesn't have a question. We'll be here forever. Well, I want the questions up front because that's what's on your heart. It's on your mind. And I want you to be the star of the class. I want you to be the most important person in that class. And so you got a question? We're going to answer it. And it's we, not I. And these questions come from the assignment that I gave you last week, which was to read a lesson and share that lesson with your family and share that lesson at work and bring questions. And so you give me a question, and I'm going to see who in the room knows the answer. Number four, and it's basically this. Most all of us have the same questions. That's what's so interesting. Ideas. What is a good idea that you got out of the lesson? Yeah. What's the good idea? Anybody get a good idea? Usually they will. And they'll share a good idea. And then the last thing is, what are you going to do with what you have learned? And I just got a letter last night, email, from uh, the guy over in uh, Nigeria. He's teaching the class, and he sent me all kinds of pictures and write-ups on the class. And then we have an evaluation. And I want to share with you uh, what ideas did you find most useful? The number one, we are valuable and need to treat others as valuable. Um, the four G's. They got the four G's. Um, what did, what, let's see, where is this up here? What did you enjoy the most? I enjoyed sharing positive events, positive experience. That's number one up there. Uh, the other one was telling what I'm going to do with what I've learned. When's the last time you went to a Bible class where they ask you to share something good or share something that you're going to do? And that was the two most popular things in the Nigerian group of college students. I am through. I wanted you to have that information. Ma'am, uh, what do I do now? Uh, Sit down. <laughs>